Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Welcome, Kristen Quiros. Is it Bayona? I wasn't sure like if it was a Latino last name or not, or some of you have been like, it's Bayona. I don't know, but I say it how it comes yeah, in my head. It's Spanish surname. It's my husband's. And I think actually they say it in Spain, Bayona, because there's like a Portuguese influence, but his family says Bayona. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I'm really excited to have you here because you do a lot of stuff with podcasts and and with teaching women how to podcast and why their voice is important, which is something that is very, very important to me. But before we get into all of that chisme, right, we have to start with the wine. Ironic, I picked a Spanish Tempranillo Rioja. It's a Javier San Pedro Tempranillo 2018. I got it from Trader Joe's. I have wine here, but I always want to try and bring other things as well, right? Yeah. So are you partaking and joining me today? I am partaking. So I have this lovely rosé. And to be honest with you, I'm not a huge rosé. They're fine, but I don't love them. But they're like an easy wine. But I found this bottle of Integrity is the name oh, of yeah. the brand. And it's uh, Santa Cruz County wine, which is where I live. And it's, um, I think, bottled in Watsonville, which is the agricultural city in my county. So I thought, oh, I'd go go local because I know Santa Cruz Mountains is known for wine. So. Oh, nice. Well, salud. Salud. This is my... <laughs> <laughs> Since we can't click in person. So this I haven't tried this wine before, but when I put it in my decanter... After I let it decant for a while, the first thing I smelled were black cherries when I put Ooh. my nose in it. Yes, they oh. smell so good. And it smells like currants. Mm. I'm swirling it around now to open it up. Oh my gosh. And it smells kind of vanilla-y. You're like hitting all the notes that I love. Mm, Jammy, oh I love that. Yeah. Oh, this is really good. This is really good. I'm excited because later I'm having a friend over and we're going to have wine and cheese. So this is going to go perfectly. There you go. <laughs> I'm like, so we're going to do this. So let me read your bio really quick. You are a podcasting expert. She's going to be like, girl, this is not what you were supposed to do. No. <laughs> not at all. It's, everyone does it their own way. <laughs> yes. A podcasting expert who teaches business owners the strategies and action steps for creating a highly engaged podcast in order to turn listeners into customers. She is the executive producer and host of two podcasts, Explore in You, and Podcast and Amplify. As a Latina, she believes it's time for women of color to grab the mic and share their stories, and she uses her platform to help them do that. Kristen is a graduate of the University of California, Santa Cruz, with a BA in Literature and minor in Art History, and you have over 15 years of corporate communications experience. It's a long time in corporate. Too long. Right? I know. My first, I guess, quote unquote, corporate job was when I was 17. And I was directly went into work for a mortgage company. Wow. Well, I was a loan opener. And I've done so many other, so many things in corporate and not in corporate. But when you start that young, I'm like, holy crap, I've, I'll be 44 in a couple of weeks. So that means... I have worked in corporate America in some form or fashion for, what, 27 years of my life. That's so crazy. How do you feel about that? I'm tired. (laughs) I'm tired. I felt after 15-ish years, I was like, oh, this is 
got to be something else out there. But I think for me, and we'll probably talk about this later, I didn't see any other option. I didn't believe there was any other option. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely get into that. But I'm really curious because you grew up in Santa Cruz, right? In the Santa Cruz area. You're there now. Yes. Um, What was it like? Because obviously every... Latino experience is very, very different. My Latino experience is very different than my sister's even. But I think regionally it changes, right? Very, very much. So I'm in San Diego. I grew up in San Diego. So I'm very much a product of growing up super close to the border. But how was it growing up in Santa Cruz? What was that experience like for you and your family growing up? I was actually born in Los Angeles. And then before I was one years old, we moved back to San Jose. So like East San Jose, where my parents were from. And they were very young parents, very young parents. So we ended up moving in with my grandmother. My uncle still lived there. At one point, my cousins were living there. Of course. Um, So my growing up experience from like zero to was very different than this reality that I live now in the Santa Cruz Mountains. I mean, it was like a largely Latino community, not very like poor, kind of low socioeconomic um, around us. We were very, like did not have any money. Um, so there's a lot of scarcity. There's a lot of instability. And so that was just my really defining sort of like at identity stage, you know, I think they say by the time you're seven years old, like you, you've kind of shaped your idea of what the world is. So that was my sort of foundation. And it was definitely interesting experience. I take away a lot from that. But then when I was 10, my mom remarried. And so we moved over to over literally over the mountain to the Santa Cruz mountains. And we were, went from like this urban environment riding our bikes everywhere because it was flat to living in the redwood trees, like living in the forest. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, How was that? Was that a very like jolting experience for you about 10 years old? Yeah, it was very jarring. We used to hear like sirens and car noises and it was like, okay, it's not safe in the neighborhood. So like only go, only you can only go past like the second house and that's it. So then we moved to the mountains, the forest, and it's like, at night, you don't hear sirens, you hear crickets so loud. We're like, why are the crickets so loud? And then a year later, like we couldn't really hear them. You do feel safe and it's just a different environment. The kids that I went to school with were different. So it was very jarring. I think at some times I really did feel alone because there were some things that were going on in my family, you know, that other kids weren't experiencing, I knew. And so you don't really always feel like you have anyone to relate to, but it was different. It was challenging, but at the same time, I'm so grateful that we made that change because I think it definitely like the trajectory of my life is so different than what it would have been. And I'm a nature lover. Like I love the forest and I'm lucky enough to live also like five miles from the ocean. So I get to just be in this environment that really I feel really connected to and feel like supported in. And so it was a big change, but it ended up being a good change. Oh, that sounds so nice to be able, you know, you have both of those, but we're lucky in California. A lot of us are very close where we can go to, I mean, I'm three miles from the beach, I think, three or four miles from the beach. I'm a mile away from the waterfront. So I'm super close to the water. Yeah. Yeah. We are lucky here. So lucky. And we can go to the mountains and we can go to the desert. We can do all of these things. One thing you were saying is when you were in, before you moved over the mountain, like you would hear sirens and everything like that. And then it got very quiet and you heard crickets. I had that experience when I moved to Albuquerque and I could not sleep because we used to live on the corner of a very busy intersection and we were like a quarter of a mile, I don't even think that far from the firehouse. So all of those things were like soothing to me, like the noise, the urban noises, right? And nobody would ever call Escondido like urban area, but because of where we were, we were kind of in the middle of all the action. And so now where I live in San Diego is just outside downtown. So those are like soothing because when I moved to New Mexico and there wasn't that noise, I swear I could not sleep at all. It was so unsettling to me. 
the quiet, it the is, super unsettling quiet. Unsettling is a very good word because it's almost like white noise that you just get used to having around. And then it's all of a sudden it's gone and you're just like, what it is so strange? And the crickets were so much different sound than <laughs> the, the sirens and the urban noises that it wasn't like a necessarily replacement right it was just like oh it's just a weird different thing so yes oh my gosh it totally was so when you were saying that I was just having like a flashback to that moment where I was like oh because every apartment that I've lived I just I like to have some sort of noise some sort of something you know I like this I like kind of comforting Yeah. yeah um you say like in in the questionnaire that I had asked sent you that you're an introverted person I am for sure not an introverted person. I could get a story from a brick wall. But I know so often, particularly in Latino families, if you're not loud, you're not heard. How was your family? Were you introverted among your own family? Like my sister was very shy. So when it was just me, my parents, my sister, my other sister, she was normal. But as soon as she walked out the door into the world, she kind of shut down and became very shy and very introverted. What was your, and I know shy and introverted technically are two different things, but she was kind of both. But what was your experience like being, because like I said, in most Latino families, if you're not loud, you're not heard. So being an introvert in a Latino family, how did you relate to your family? Okay, this is an interesting question because, you know, like you mentioned earlier, there are so many different Latino experiences, right? And regionally, and then just what your specific family is like. Um, I also wanted to mention, so I'm third generation. So that's a very different experience from like second or first generation. But also I actually came from a line of introverts. So my sister, my middle sister, she was more of the loud one. And so she was the one that stood out, but not necessarily in a good way. I think she was always being sort of shushed. (laughs) And because my mom was quiet I was quiet. We lived with my grandmother. She was more on the quiet side and she was also very proper. And when we laughed loud, she would just kind of be like, like ladies don't do that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was very interesting. I was asking my mom about that and I was like, where does that come from? Because it's they came from very humble beginnings. My grandparents and my great grandparents came here. And I remember my Lito was very, was he was proper. The small amount of time that I knew him and the stories. And I was like, where does that come from? Like, and I think that a lot of that came from being an immigrant here and wanting to show that you were good enough. Right. So I think that, that having your manners and being like respectful, like that definitely trickled down to my grandmother and then to us. And so being sort of quiet, I think, and demure and not loud and not maybe contrarian or putting your voice out there was more valued in my family. So that was a little challenging because what happened was I didn't really learn a lot of social skills. Like because my mom was so introverted, she didn't really push me out there to like meet other people and that I didn't get that training. I had to get that basically when I went out into the world, which was a real struggle. So I was very much kind of, I guess, comfortable being shy, even though it was challenging when I left the house, basically. My father actually, though, was a lot more extroverted. Like we couldn't go down the street without him like meeting someone, but, uh, you know, that he knew and talking to someone, but he just wasn't around enough to like bring that out of me and, you know, be that sort of example. So yeah, that's when, that was my experience of being an introvert is like, I had other introverts around me. So yeah, it's just kind of how, it's how I was. Well, I know you said you, you had felt like you were alone when you moved over. Do you think that was part of it because you didn't learn how to relate? Like you weren't somebody who was pushed to meet other people or relate to other people. Do you think that that contributed to your loneliness? Yeah, I think so. I think apart from like, oh, my experiences as a kid were so different from the new kids that I met. I think that I didn't have those social skills to just go up and meet people. I didn't feel comfortable doing that. I didn't have the practice. I think though that I've always attracted, like I don't need a ton of friends. I'm the kind of person who I've always attracted like one or two really good solid friends. And like, that's enough for me. So for the most part, I was able to do that throughout my education. You know, it was like, find the one person who is just 
going to be your friend. And then that's going to be your, your social experience, you know, your social group. Almost like a security blanket too, right? Like, let me find the person who's going to make me be secure and I can be myself with, and that's all I need. Yeah. But I'm still like that. I mean, I, I have friendships, but they're few, but I think I've learned about being an introvert is that, you know, you give a lot of energy to people. And so you have to be very selective about who you invite into your world because you can't give that intense amount of energy to everyone. So I think I'm a fantastic friend, but I'm not a fantastic friend to like 50 people. (laughs) I only only have the bandwidth for like a handful of people that are really important to me. So, you know, during the pandemic, I realized, cause I, like I said, I am, I call myself an extroverted extrovert, right? <laughs> I, if I'm alone too long, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And then get me around a room full of people. I'm like, I can work the room like nobody's business, right? It energizes me and everything, but I'm also still very selective in regards to who I spend time with. Right. In regards to the, because you are exchanging energy and there are certain people where I think they're great people, but I can only spend a certain amount of time with them because they drain me. So I totally get that. But mine is very opposite. If I'm by myself too long, I just, I I tire myself out. (laughs) Sounds so silly. So my husband is an extrovert. And so I have to constantly remind myself oh, he gets energy from being around people because I, it does not give me energy to be around. It sucks my energy for the most part. And so I have to constantly see the world through his perspective, which I think is kind of beautiful because it makes me just be more thoughtful and see the world through someone else's lens, but like in a meaningful way, because it's not just someone, it's someone that's really important to me. So it pushes me to do that every day, which is, it's good. It's good for me. I like to be challenged and I like to understand people and how they operate. I mean, I think you need that kind of yin and yang to a certain degree, right? You can't have two people like really extra together. <laughs> like, I can't Just imagine. fighting for attention. Oh my gosh. I. But here's the thing. It's not even about attention because I don't necessarily, I know this sounds very weird, but I don't necessarily like the spotlight on me. Mm. Like if people meet me and they meet me through like, oh, are you the wine and cheese man? I get like so nervous and so, oh, yeah, I right. think like very, I kind of just instead of being like, oh, yeah, hi, I'm I'm learning to be more like, but anytime I talk about things, it's always pushing like other people into the spotlight. Let me raise you. Let me raise you. I, I actually did a. Instagram live talking about the directory that we created for the for Latine owned wineries based in the US. And I me and my friend who helped me, Daniel, worked on it. Um, we did an Instagram live. So I'm talking about all these things. And he literally was the one who was like, Why don't you tell people what you do? And I started laughing because he said he was the one who told me, You always do that. And he we've only known each other not even a year, right? And that's something he already picked up on from the beginning is that. I don't necessarily like to celebrate want. others. Yeah. Yes. It yeah, makes I, me feel good. I can totally relate. I love that. There's nothing more that I love than like, oh, I'm going to highlight this person on my podcast. I'm going to bring them on. And, and I used to do that in my job too. You know, I'd highlight the thought leaders in my company and that really brought me joy. And I have a coach right now and she's does the Enneagram. And so she like read my chart and stuff. And so she was telling me today that you're one of your part of my personality, I guess, is to not want to like highlight myself. Like that is just part of who I am. And, and that made me feel really good because I think in this culture of like me, 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 you can kind of feel like, well, what's wrong with you? Why don't you want to do that? And so it's kind of helped me sit in that just way of being that's natural to me. And it sounds like it's natural to you to just love on other people and show the fantastic things that they do. And I don't know that everyone gets that, but I guess you just have to do what feels good. Yeah. And especially when you have a podcast, right? And you are like, quote unquote, I know I'm the quote unquote face of the podcast. I'm the brand of the podcast, but I don't always want to show my face. But then I know that's what gets tends to get the most engagement and get people to read the posts and stuff. So I always I have this very like duality in regards to that. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese mix. Hola, mi gente. If you haven't heard, I am here to share with you the Wine and Cheese Mix podcast has launched the very first 
Latine-owned wine brand directory ever. Just go to the wineandcheesemidpodcast.com. Then go to wine brand directory. There you will be greeted by me. But more importantly, you will be able to choose a winery first by region, then by county. And the wineries in that area will not only be listed, but you can connect directly to them from this site. It couldn't be easier than that, right? Use this directory to plan your own wine adventure or learn about some of these Latine vintners or share it with a friend and have them buy some Latine wine as well. Something like this has ever been available. So go use it and support our community. I want to talk to you about gatekeeping because I was reading your profile. We both want to celebrate our cultures. We both want to amplify In fact, the most recent podcast right before this, or maybe two ago, I can't even remember. I was talking about gatekeeping lately of our community by our community. But it seems to really be more of this younger generation, right? This Gen Z. I don't know if you've heard they have this quote unquote, no sabo kid attitude. So if your Spanish is not perfect, or if you're not, oh, you're just a no sabo kid. You're just a no sabo kid. And I think so many of them don't realize that we growing up had so much less representation than versus now, right? What was something you noticed in regards to, I know you said you're third generation, but it still sounds like you were still very much in your Latinidad. You still wanted to celebrate your culture. I'm second generation and I was still very much like that. But what did you notice in regards to growing up as far as representation? Did Is that something you even noticed? when you went to movies and watched TV or anything like that? So I was listening to an interview and I can't remember who the actress was, but she mentioned, I grew up in the eighties and she called it the binary eighties. And it just clicked with me. It was like, yes, what I saw represented in movies and TV was like this or this and mostly white this. (laughs) I grew up in the 80s too. So yeah. I get it. So you, I mean, there was not a lot of diversity, blonde hair, blue eye. That was the beauty standard. So I do remember feeling like, oh, that's what beautiful is. And not seeing myself necessarily represented. I do remember thinking, oh, that's how you're supposed to speak, speaking very you know, enunciating things and, and, you know, like even speech, like you're to pick up on like, oh, that's how like successful people, quote unquote, speak. Um, so I think these things that we experience culturally, at least growing up in the 80s and 90s, was they do sink in, right? They do get into your subconscious and they do affect how you move through the world. And things are very different. There is so much more representation now. Is there enough? No, but it's vastly more than what you or I grew up with. And so, I mean, I think that's kind of what I look back now, kind of looking through this lens of, you know, like the social justice movement and like representation and inclusivity, like, oh, that so much was missing in my view and in media and the things that I consumed. And so I think it was maybe like, I don't know, 10 years ago, I I really started being a lot more intentional about who I, you know, what kind of movies I watched, TV shows, like actively trying to look for different perspectives. And that was just as like, we were getting more perspectives, right? So it was like, oh, yes, I'm tired of seeing the one thing. You know, how can I bring in other things into my life? I remember... And I've said this before on previous episodes, like Wonder when I found out Linda Carter was half Mexican, I was so excited because I loved Wonder Woman, right? The other representation was Eric Estrada, Ponch from Chips. Right. <laughs> and then I used to watch Miami Vice with my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now the Latino representation there was like always the bad guy, right? They were always the bad guy. No, but Edward James almost was like the police chief. In Miami right. Vice. Right. So those were my <laughs> references. You got the three. <laughs> I got the three. <laughs> I know you You said you, you went into corporate communications and you were in the corporate world for 15 years before you left and started a travel blog. What was your experience when you went to college at UC Santa Cruz as far as, because you're still in your whole area, but I'm sure it opened your world up a little bit or maybe a lot a bit in regards to 
Actually, you know what? I don't even know what is the diversity in regards to UC Santa Cruz. I want, I'm thinking, oh, is it? But I don't know. How, how diverse was it? And was that something that changed you innately in regards to opening up your views to the world, be, still being in the same area? So I think what was the biggest difference was comparing my, so I went to community college first because my, didn't have a college fund. I don't think I knew what a college fund was until I went to college. Ditto, ditto. What? Oh, there's a fund for these things. Um, I didn't do have. do that for your, for your kids? <laughs> what? We don't even have like a wedding fund or anything. Like people save all these things. And my parents were like, what you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Good luck. Go, go do your thing. Go work hard. And so, but what they did do was they allowed me to live at home rent free. So appreciate that very much. But so I went to community college because I was paying my way and it was way cheaper. And to be honest, I didn't want to take the SATs because I was like, I'm not about those tests. Those were not meant for me. Um, And so I went to community college. And so that experience was really cool because it was just like a bunch of people just like me working and going to school and just different ages and different just demographics. I felt like there was a lot of diversity there. And then when I transferred to UCSC, I was like, oh, what is this? <laughs> because there was diversity, but in terms of like socioeconomic diversity, there was not. Like the overwhelming majority of students, their parents were paying their way. And that just like shocked me because I came from this community of students who were paying their own way for the most part. And then to go to this university where it was like, it's just a different demographic of students. And of course, there's there were students just like me, but it wasn't the majority, or at least it didn't feel like it. So there was, though, more diversity in terms of like there were kids from like more urban areas, you know, from all over the state. So I did get to meet different people. But to be honest with you, I was just kind of like, I wasn't shocked, but I, the rigor in, at the UC level was so much more that I was just like dumped into the deep end, just trying to keep my head above water. And I had, because I had majored and minored, I was like full on college level courses. Like, you know, I didn't have any like fun classes. I was like full on dedicated to these um, subjects. So I was just kind of like, okay, I just got to get, you know, get the most out of this experience and do the best that I can. And I, I think I did really well, but I had to, you know, really rely on my ability to work hard and resources that I had. And, but I think in terms of opening my, you know, eyes to, to what else was out there, it definitely did that when I was able to do the study abroad program that I did. I went and lived in Italy for a summer and I would never have had access to that, you know, if I hadn't gone to the university. And that was like the first time I had traveled outside the U.S. I decided to like do it by myself for three months, which was crazy. Uh, I definitely had my moments of like, oh, what did I do? But then I had moments of like magic of like, this is where it was meant to be. So in that way, it did definitely open up my eyes to more of what was out there. So I assume you didn't travel much growing up. No. You, obviously not internationally. Did you like, did you just pretty much stay? Were you pretty much just relegated to your region of California growing up? I mean, we went to like Yosemite. We would do some houseboating trips in like the Redding area. So we would go a little bit outside, of, you know, a couple hours outside of our area. I mean, Northern California has so many places to oh, yeah. visit. You know, San Francisco's there. Um, and above that, all the um, the beautiful areas up there. So we would go on like local trips. But other than that, we weren't like this family who went on international trips. And that was the first time I had a passport was, you know, in college. I got it specifically to go on that trip. And I had to go get a visa and all that to navigate all that stuff. Um, But it's funny when you're like 20 in your 20s, it's like you just think that anything's possible. And I never doubted. So true. I never doubted that I could. You're fearless at that age. Are You're just like, oh, I can figure out my goals and meet them. Yeah. And then so in between transferring from my from junior college to University of Santa Cruz, I got married. So (laughs) that was a whole other layer of like, yeah, I'm a lot different from the kids that I'm going to school with and my experiences are different and like kind of keeping my head down just to like get through, you know, the 
experience. I loved it. I, I'm so grateful that while I was doing it, I appreciated it. You know, sometimes you don't appreciate things until you've been spent a few years or it's in hindsight. But right. I remember walking around the campus thinking like, like who gets to go? Like I get to go here. Like this is amazing. Um, so, so yeah, it was, a, it was a magical time of being 20 and fearless. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. I remember being like, yeah, I'll go. I was 21 when I decided, yeah, to Texas. I don't, I know one person there. Yeah, I'll drive by myself halfway across the country. It's cool. What could go wrong? Yeah. Yeah, nothing. I'm fine. I'm good. Like, <laughs> I mean, I just drove all the way up the West Coast by myself last, last year, me and my dog. But it's very different when you're older too. You have different life experience versus yeah. when you're 21 years old. Oh, you're so <laughs> clueless. Like, I'm like, how did I survive in Europe by myself? I mean, I had a, I was going with school, but still it's like just moving around somewhere where like no one knows you and you don't know what you're doing half the time. I mean, yeah. it's kind of amazing, but I guess so, I should give 20 year olds more credit. Than <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a lot of 20 year olds now, because we didn't have, like we had to live in the real world. We didn't live, we didn't have technology. We didn't have computers. Like, we didn't have phones. We didn't have all of these things. We didn't have map, nav, like apps. No, we had to use MapQuest and print it out from the computer, right? Like our technology was so different. You know, we obviously grew up in an era that you, we didn't have cell phones. You would check in at this time. Okay, you would have to find a phone or whatever, have quarters on you to get on the payphone. So you can say, okay, I'm checking in <laughs> type yeah, of thing. It took so much energy and you had to like figure things out with like your brain. Like you couldn't look at the device and have it do like most of the work for you. It was different times, but you know, make, makes us more resilient. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. So knowing that I want to hear like how you walked through moving from corporate communications into your travel blog, because now I know why you wanted to, like, you probably got the travel bug, obviously, going to Europe. But when you made that jump from, like, I'm so tired of corporate communications, because being a PR major myself, for me, and I don't know if it's the same for you, I know it was really hard to balance the thing that I loved with a company I believed in. I always felt like I didn't want to just be a corporate PR person, per se. I've mostly been in things that I like. So I love sports, and I've loved kids. So I've always done a lot of either within government or nonprofit or sports. That's usually that's where a majority of my experience lies. How scary was it from jumping from corporate to saying, I'm done with corporate, I'm going to start this travel blog. How did you prepare for that? And how scary was that? Okay, so a little bit of it is like the universe stepping in. So I had been in corporate communications I think for about, it was like 10, 11 years at the time. And I got to this point where I'm like, I just felt stuck. I felt that stuck feeling that every like I've heard so many people talk about it. And I'm like, what's that? Like stuck, what does that mean? And then I was sitting at my desk and I'm like, I feel that. I feel like I don't want to be here, but I don't know where I want to go. And I don't know how to move forward. And so we were having like a wellness week my last company had did these awesome wellness weeks and they, it was all about like taking care of yourself and they would bring in a masseuse and they would like give you healthy food. It was all this cool stuff. And I was like, okay, this is like my sign. Like this is the week that I'm going to finally like hire a therapist, hire a job coach and like do all the things to figure out what is my next step? Because it, it wasn't working for me. Um, corporate just, I knew it wasn't the environment where I was going to like realize my full potential, right? I was like, oh, this is not it. I'm not going to climb this ladder. I don't care. I don't care about politics. I did that work. And so it really got, gained me, and I was struggling with confidence a lot. So I had to work through a lot of that. And so that was in 2016. And then in 2019 is when I launched the blog. And that whole journey, I mean, the only reason why I launched the blog was because I had done that work of like, building my confidence, figuring out what was really important to me. And before I, I think I must've talked about starting a blog for like 10 years and I didn't do it because simply because I was like, who wants to hear what I have to say? Everyone else is doing it so much better than I am. Like who, what do we really need another 
travel blog, like look at their pictures. They're so beautiful. And so I had to work to get to that point. And I think that's what a lot of people don't see is like they see the blog out, right? The travel blog with the beautiful pictures and the stories. But there was a lot that went into me feeling what I felt was brave enough because it was a it was a scary thing for me to do it and put it out there and just not worry about what other people thought. Or... I totally get that. You're putting yourself out there to the public, basically. I get that because that's how I felt with the podcast, right? I did not realize how emotional launching the podcast would be because you're putting yourself out there. And what if people don't like you? I felt so many of the things that you said you were feeling. What if people don't like it? What if I'm not? Well, and then it was like, what if I do it and nobody likes it? What if I do it and it's crap? What if I do like all of those things that, and I was doing it. I launched right before February 17, 2020 is when I launched the first three episodes is when the first three episodes dropped. So I felt all of those same things that you're describing. And I still sometimes feel those things. It, I don't think it ever goes away, which is probably a good thing because then it still drives you to become better, right? At your craft. Yeah, you're still, you do. it's pushing you to evolve still, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I did that for like a year and then I kept thinking, oh, if I had more time to devote to this, if I had more time, I just kept thinking that. And then in 2020, the pandemic hit and I was furloughed from my job in April, which meant that I could, I still had a job technically. They were holding my spot, but I could also collect unemployment. So I was like, okay, this is like the universe or whatever telling me like, you have all this time now that you wanted, like, don't waste it. Like figure out what you're going to do, figure out what your next step is, because who gets that opportunity of not feeling the pressure to have to find a job and being paid while you, you know, are not working technically. So that led me to, I love podcasting and I was like, oh, maybe I could do it. And so the practice of putting myself out there with the first, with the blog built that muscle of like uh, pushing myself outside my comfort zone, which I think a lot of it is what a lot of it is about is like building that muscle, doing those things that feel uncomfortable, but you know, you're going to grow from them, you know, and just still feeling that little bit of fear and then doing it because that's the only way you're going to trust yourself and prove to yourself and have the evidence that you can do that thing. You know, you, you are capable. Um, so then I launched the podcast in, in the summer of 2020. So I feel you I'm launching the podcast yeah. <laughs> in the pandemic year. Right. So, but I have a question because you are very specific. Well, not very specific or yes, actually kind of. You teach others, particularly other introverts, how to have the confidence in podcasting. People probably look at, you know, or hear me or look at me, whatever. And I, like I said, I'm a self-proclaimed extroverted extrovert. So they probably think, oh, it's super easy for her. But as an introvert, what are the things that you really focus on in, and help others on in regards to getting over that hurdle? Yeah. So I think that podcasting is like meant for introverts, to be honest with you, because, you know, introverts can tend to be a little bit of perfectionist. You know, we really want to get things right. We're like super thoughtful people. And so I think having the space to record yourself in private, first of all, and, or, you know, just with someone one-on-one -on -one give takes off that pressure of like, oh, this has to be perfect because you know, oh, I can go and edit it. Right. So it gives you that space that most of us introverts, I think, need. Um, and then a lot of introverts, they love meaningful one-on-one -on -one conversations. Like they love that one-on-one -on -one connection. And so, I mean, what's more perfect than this interview format for that? Yeah. And I think just having, being in your own space, you know, like I'm in my living room right now, but I'm talking to someone like that's really comfortable for us. And I think there's a lot of parts to podcasting that are not with other people. You know, when you're editing, when you're writing the questions, when you're researching, like those are solo activities. And if you do it yourself, right? And so that gives you that space from like, okay, engaged with this person, we had this interview, but now I get to get my alone time and like go and work on the back end of the podcast. And then you're not going to be lonely. You're, you love being by yourself. So you're going to have the energy to do those things. So I think that anyone who's introverted and thinks, oh, 
I don't want to put myself out there. Well, you are putting yourself out there, but it's in a way that you can control it. And I think that's really important for introverts to know that there's a level that they can control in terms of like, you're not live, right? You don't have to be on. And then you're, you're asking really meaningful questions. And I think that's kind of our wheelhouse. It's like, we're, we're very thoughtful because typically introverts are overthinkers. And so we've thought these things through. And so it just gives you this platform to be that way, to dig into someone's story, to highlight someone else. You know, you're highlighting other people. And like, like we talked about before, like that's kind of our jam, you know, it's like an introvert's jam. I was like, I don't want to be the front person, even though I have to be the host, but I can more of the time spent, I can highlight you and what you do. And so that, that's what I think. And then I also want to say too, like being an introvert, podcasting has gotten me to do so many other things. Like I've done lives. I've done, now I'll do videos on Instagram. Like it's just opened the door for me. And it's only through doing it and the practice that you realize like what you're capable of. So no, I mean, that's so true. As you were saying, I was like, how I was thinking, do, how do I feel in regards to some of these things? Right. Like, for example, you said you're a perfectionist. I am up to a point, but I also think perfection is the enemy of done. Right. So you have to know, okay, maybe it's not going to be perfect, but if you are constantly waiting for things to be perfect, it may never get done. Right. So, and then you're talking about the editing. I spent over, I spent a year and a half of editing the podcast on myself. And I finally have handed it off to somebody because I want to have that time back. I want to, I want to be able to just upload this episode and know that I'm going to get it back in time. I'll give Juan Pablo a shout out. Juan Pablo, my editor, he's out of Mexico City. So I send him he sends it back to me. I listen to it. If I have any notes, he takes care of it right away for me. But it, he also has helped me get so much time back because he's a professional editor. I know how to edit. There's a difference. Right. What's going to take him two hours is going to take me like two to three times that. So you have a course. Talk about your course in regards to the things that you focus on for people who want to start a podcast. Yeah, so the course really starts with your why, right? Creating that vision for your podcast because I think that's an important part for place for everyone to start is why are you doing this podcast? Do you want to grow your business? Do you want to just be a resource for someone? You know, like, do you just have something really passionate that you're talking about? Like, what? why are you doing this? Because once you figure that out, that gives you the momentum to complete the whole process. Because for a lot of people, starting a podcast is overwhelming. Some of it is around, the overwhelm is around tech, but some of the overwhelm is around mindset and like, should I even be doing this? And so if you can start with why you're doing something, and that's where we start in the course, that's going to really help you create all the other assets in your podcast. So then we go through just every piece of content that you need, you know, creating your summary, creating, choosing your podcast host, um, coming up with a launch plan, all the technical things of like how to actually edit your podcast. Some people may outsource it like you do. A lot of people do, but I think there's benefit in knowing how it's done Absolutely. and what to do, because then, you know, if you're working with an editor in the right way, if they're good or if they're, you know, missing the mark, like there's just so many benefits to knowing, at least I, that's how I was in my corporate job. Like I like to know how to do the thing that I was asking someone to do because it just helped me to interact with that person, you know, you're speaking the same language and, and yeah. you're on the same page. And so there we do brainstorming your um, ideas and then how to promote your podcast and write your show notes. So we're just, I just break down every single part of it so that you can like be really confident about, oh, this is what I created. And now I can like launch it to the world and I'm super excited about it. And I know it's awesome and what I wanted it to be. So that's the 30 day, um, boot camp, And then I also do a one day, like a VIP intensive, like you're so busy that you just want to get it done. And you just want to sit with me with, for six hours and do it. Like <laughs> I will walk you through each step and we'll do it. And that's usually like a really small group of like three people because you know, it gets a little crazy if it's anymore, but yeah, that's a lot. That would be yeah. a lot to have more than that to do yeah. all of those things. But I completely agree with you. I, like I said, I have an editor. I know how to edit. I'm not, you know, there's a difference. So yeah. God forbid something should happen. I know what I'm doing. I know I can go back and do it. But thankfully, 
Right now, I don't have to. I have somebody who's better than I am. I would rather hand that off. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And then I give suggestions too after the one day, like, oh, maybe you want to work with this person. Like if you decide you don't want to be the one like editing, like here's the suggestion of someone to to use. Because I know that's not the best use of everyone's time. You know, we all like are super busy. And, you know, if you love it, do it. If that's not your jam, like hire someone to do it for you and... Absolutely. I love how you were saying you start with your why, because that is the most important thing. I think so often people start, and I like what you said, and I'm just going to, you really kind of emphasize that you don't teach people how to monetize, because if you don't have a why, it doesn't matter. Like I've seen people start a podcast with no real reason, except that they want to monetize. But then they're, if you don't have a why, then the whole reason for the podcast becomes very murky and very kind of gross, to be perfectly honest. I recently said no, just so you know, to an ad for McDonald's. Wow. And yeah, I said no to an ad for McDonald's. And the reason is, is because I rarely go to McDonald's. I go every once in a while, but I rarely go to McDonald's. And they wanted it to be like an ad about a community, like, oh, it being a community space. But that's not my community space. And I also didn't want to promote McDonald's to our people. Like, I just feel like that would just negate everything that I'm working to do to amplify voices across communities of color. But let me have this ad for McDonald's where I don't hardly ever go as a community space, which I don't use it as. Right. So I said no to that. There was a hair care product that I said no to because if anybody's heard anything or seen my stories, they know I love Riso's Curls. Riso's Curls is like the bomb for my hair. It's Latina owned. She's out of LA. I know her PR person. They, It's really, truly done. And not that that matters, but I mean, it just like, it's truly done wonders for my hair. I will take that everywhere. It's, I love it. It's been so great. So I can't, Will I try other things in addition to it? Yes. But would I, if I all of a sudden said, oh, let me, um, let me talk about this hair care product. People will be like, you talk about Riso's curls all the time. This makes no sense. Right. So you have to have, if you don't have your why centered, then I think it gets very murky. And I think you can go off the rails real quick. hundred percent. And I think it's so much about what you're saying is staying in integrity staying in integrity with your mission or your business. And that's not always easy, right? Because we do get the flashy McDonald's or whatever, you know, opportunity comes in. And Girl, I recently lost my job. So believe me, I could use the money. <laughs> yes. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, we are not going to feel good if we like sell ourselves out, right? It's just not going to be worth it. And so I definitely understand where you're coming from and like respect that, you know, and that's what I'm always trying to do in my business is like, how do I stay in integrity? And I went through that a little bit with, you know, I used to say that I help women and women of color, you know, to launch their their podcast, but something about it wasn't feeling right to me. And I had to do a little bit of like soul searching around that. And I don't have any, um, People can use whatever language they want, but it was like, what, what's good for me? Like, what am I trying to say and who can I help? And, you know, you talked about like gatekeeping before. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of opinions, right? And you really just have to like tap into, go inward and be like, what's true for me? Like, what's true about my experience? Because that's what's really going to help people. It's not, it's not using, I guess, language or ideas that sound good, not that those words aren't intentional, but it's just really knowing like what is your why, like you said, and what's going to keep you in that integrity space. And that's what's really going to help people. And that's really what it's all about, right? Is yeah. like genuinely, how can I be of service to people? Um, and that's the only way you can really do it. Absolutely. So before we wrap things up, I want to make sure, I want to give you the opportunity to add anything that maybe I didn't ask or anything additional, and then give your social handles because I know they've changed. So please give those as well. I just, I love helping women, women entrepreneurs to start podcasts. I love podcasting. It's so much about storytelling. And I have created a space that really honors diverse experiences and holds that space. And so I just, you know, if anyone feels that pull to like share your voice in a bigger way, I'd love to help 
you know, women do that. And I think it's so important right now. I think, I think you mentioned this on one of your other podcasts, but this is, feels like it's our time. Like, doesn't it? I just feel like it's the right time to share your voice, especially as a woman of color, especially, you know, our voices aren't represented, but they're so needed right now. They're so, there's such an interest. So I just want to give people that encouragement that, you know, your voice really matters. And whether you like work with me or or not, like start that podcast, if you've been thinking about it, because you'll have an audience, like someone will want to listen to what you have to say. Oh my gosh. I remember when I was hesitating and my friends were like, just do it, just do it. If you don't do it, you're, it's never going to get done if you just don't start. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I just want to be that voice in someone's ear of like, just do it. Just start. (laughs) (laughs) You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. (laughs) And your social media handles. Yeah. So I just launched the podcast and Amplify website. So it's podcastandamplify.com. And then all the handles for like Facebook and Instagram are at podcast and Amplify. So it should be super easy to find me on either of those places. Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your time, sharing your story, sharing why you're doing what you do with all of us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you and for having me on. I'm, I've, I've been listening to your show and I love it. I'm addicted now. So thank you oh. for, I'm, it's an honor to be on here. I was like, oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. <laughs> thank you so much. I think that every time, anytime somebody says that, look at, look at my tears. I'm like, I already get, my eyes are getting watery. <laughs> It's because I truly appreciate it. And I know sometimes I'll like say, oh, I really, really appreciate it. And some people are like, yeah, she's just saying that. But I really, really do. Any person who listens, any person who enjoys it, if you get anything out of it, it really is so appreciated because people like you're taking your, your time out of your day to speak to me. But then there's you've taken time to listen And that is not a small thing. And I don't take that for granted. So thank you very much. You're welcome. (laughs) I I relate. It is a gift when someone says that. And you're so good at interviewing. So um, I was like taking little notes for my interviews. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, let's salute to that one last time. (laughs) Until next time, mi gente. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more.